to the book of James. We've been working our way through James chapter 1. First, in verses 2 through 8, we saw James addressing what I have titled, How to Handle Trials, right? And we've looked at uh, how to handle adversities that come in your life. For example, a government shutdown, all right? <laughs> okay. And second, we have been looking at... Um, We've been looking at verses 2 through 15, right, what I have titled, How to Handle Temptation, right? Verse 12 begins, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Right. I'm going to open up in prayer, and then we will finish verses 14 and 15, right? Uh, we're finishing up. Uh, this is the third week we've been looking at these four verses. All right, so we're moving right along, picking up steam. <laughs> uh, but I want us to, to, to finish up this section on temptation um, before moving on to the rest of uh, chapter one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for allowing us again to come into your presence and to fellowship with one another to honor and glorify you. We thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for being able to see that there will be times of trials and adversity that come into our lives. And James teaches us how to handle those trials. He says that the testing of our faith produces patience. But we have to let patience have its perfect work so that we can become perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see every trial for what it is, and it is an opportunity for us to grow uh, in our endurance, our steadfastness, and not wavering in our faith. I pray that you will help us to not be like the double-minded man who is unstable in all of his ways. That person will not receive anything from you, but help us to be like the person that Ms. Veronica described, the person who stands in faith. Because we know that if we rest in you and trust in you, you will work all things for our good and for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we're finishing up this section on temptation. I pray that you would help us to look at ourselves. Help us to see that in our temptations, you are not the one to blame. We shouldn't point fingers at others, but we should examine our own hearts. And I pray that you would teach us, as James says, in verse 12, to endure temptation, because when we have passed the test, we will receive the crown of life. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Real quickly, by way of a recap, we have been looking in these, these passages of scriptures, and we 
have seen James's take on how we should handle trials and adversities. Every single one of us will experience a trial and an adversity in our lives. Many of them, as a matter of fact, uh, small ones each and every day. Uh, but all of us will run into some adversities that will really shake us. The question is, when we go through these adversities, how will we respond? James teaches us that when we go through these trials and adversities, we need to learn how to count it all joy. Or, as I have said a different way, we need to be able to see these adversities as um, joyous occasions, right? We need to see them as a good thing from a good father that he's using to transform our character. Um, not to go through all of these things, but you remember that when we started looking at this, uh, we looked at the different words, and, and what we've come to see is that all of us experience deficiencies in different areas of our lives based on the households that we've grown up in, um, the, the circles that we have been in, our environment, right? Um, and we have deficiencies in various parts of our character, right? Our mind, will, emotions, right? Our desires. And God, being a loving father, does not want us to be left in that condition. He wants to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And God, in his wisdom, sometimes we question that wisdom, but in God's wisdom, he has decided that the best way to conform us to Jesus is to allow us to go through trials and testings. When we go through these trials and testings, if we allow the test to do what it is accomplished, James says we become perfect, which is mature, right? complete, which is whole, not divided, not emotionally unstable, right? and lacking nothing. When we skip down to <coughs> verse 12, James gives, gives us a summary of everything he said in verses 2 through 11. He says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. And we saw that this word temptation is, is, is the same exact word as trials in verse 2. Okay, Same exact word. James is trying to get us to see that every single adversity that we experience is either an opportunity for us to pass the test and grow or it is an opportunity for us to be solicited into sin. He goes on to say in verse 13 that when we are tempted, when we are solicited to sin, that we should never blame God, not directly or indirectly. We should never blame our circumstances, situations, our father, our job, our wife, right? Don't place the blame anywhere but on yourself. He says when each one is tempted, he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, verse 14. He says it is your own desire that draws you away. And last week we saw that these are two examples. Number one is a hunting term. When we talk about uh, someone being drawn away, the idea is of an animal that is safely somewhere in the forest, 
but someone has set a trap and baited this trap, and the desire for food draws this animal from a safe place into the trap, and then they are baited. The word enticed is a fishing term, right? I'm glad to see my brother-in-law here. We went fishing last summer for the first time. He went fishing. I just stood there with my pole. <laughs> and then about after 10 minutes, it was cold. I was like, look, I'm done. <laughs> I'm just reeling on in. <laughs> I just watched him, all right? <laughs> but the idea, right, what, what we did was we, we put bait on a hook and dropped it in the water. And then we just stand and wait. The fish does all the work itself. The fish's desire for food is what attracts him to the bait. And when he bites the bait, he is hooked and cannot let go. James says that is what your desires do to you. It draws you out of a place of freedom in Christ. As we sang in the song this morning, he set us free from sin. But our desires draw us away from this place of freedom and safety in Christ, and we get trapped and ensnared by our own desires. And then he says in verse 15, after sin desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. We saw last week that that most sin starts in our mind and in our emotions. But when we act on it, that act immediately produces sin. Now, James is using a birthing analogy. Um, uh, so we talked about how uh, last week that when a mother and father, we have children in the room, when a, a, a mother and father, um, you know, do married things, okay, um, a conception happens, right? but there's a nine-month gestation period, and after that nine months, a baby is born. James is saying here that the gestation period is instantaneous, that immediately, as soon as your desire conceives, it brings forth sin, and just like a baby, sin needs to be fed. We oftentimes think that I can just do it this one time, <laughs> right? right? And then it's one time this week, <laughs> okay? <laughs> okay. And every single time we feed our sin, it grows. James says that when sin becomes full grown, literally, when it becomes complete, right, because he's using in these verses a lot of the same words that he uses in, in beginning in verse 2, right? When instead of us being perfect and complete, lacking nothing, literally, when sin becomes complete, when it reaches its goal, it brings forth death because that is the goal of sin. We think that the goal of sin is to have fun, and it is. <laughs> okay, it is fun. It is pleasurable, as the Bible says. Sin is pleasurable for a season. But the goal of sin is always to kill you. We miss that point because we're wrapped up in all of the fun. 
Now, let's move forward. I want you to turn with me to 1 John. This is where we left off last week. 1 John chapter 2. Because we need to finish up this, the practical side. Um, if it is our own desires that lead us into sin, it's not the world, it's not the flesh, it's not the devil. Okay. It is our own desires that lead us into sin. We have to figure out how to overcome our own desires. James is trying to get us to see that it is nothing external to us that causes us to sin. There is a stimulus that is external to us, but that has nothing to do with why we choose to sin. They could back a whole Brinks truck up outside and drop all of the money in the parking lot. Some of us, <laughs> okay. Some of us, <laughs> uh, particularly if you have not received the two paychecks. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> okay. Some of us will walk right past it, get in our cars, and pull off. <laughs> All right. And some of us won't. <laughs> because the circumstance is not why we sin. The circumstance is just a trial. It's just a test. The reason that you give in has nothing to do with the test and everything to do with what's going on inside of you. <laughs> oh, yes, that is, that is a blessing. That is the wealth of the wicked laid up for the righteous. Hey, hallelujah, yes. The Lord just brought me a whole Brinks truck. I like, no. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and they have a little six by six room for you to spend it in, too. <laughs> look, let us look in, in First John. What I want us to see, what I've been trying to communicate to us is that we sin simply because of our own desires, right? Sometimes I, I was w looking at this, um, uh, there was an article I read last night, and um, there was a woman who was going to a gym, and she was wearing some kind of a crop top, a tank top, or something like that. And um, some of the men was complaining to the, <laughs> to the staff that, you know, they were being distracted by the woman wearing this tank top. And so the, the gym literally asked her, could she change her clothes? Okay. So it's, it's weird that you will make the, the woman change her, her uh, just a tank top, okay, that, that she's wearing, because the men are distracted. Now the question is, why are you distracted, though? Because the, the, the truth is, if you're going to be distracted, you're going to be distracted if she has on a tank top or a burqa. <laughs> right? If, if you covered head to toe 
in a, in a burqa, you know, the, the, the outfit that, that Muslim women have to wear. If you are the type of person that is distracted, you're going to be distracted no matter what. Has nothing to do with the package and everything to do with you. Listen to what John says. And the reason that we, uh, we, we went to this passage of Scripture is because we're, we're addressing why are we tempted? Why are you as a person tempted by the things that you are tempted by? Because everyone is not tempted by the same things, right? John says, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God abides forever. I'm not going to rehash all of the things that we um, addressed um, last week. But number one, I want to simply say the reason that we are tempted by the things that we are tempted by is because we love the world. We love the things of this world. We love the pleasure that the world can bring us. Right. We just love this world. But more importantly, this is what I want to want to go back to is how are we tempted? Right. John is telling us that there are only three avenues of temptation for us. These three are the only tricks that Satan has. They are the only tricks that our flesh has. They are the only tricks that the world has. These are the same three tricks that Adam and Eve fell on. These are the same three tricks that Jesus was tempted by, but he succeeded. You would think that after all this time, we would learn these three tricks and not keep failing. (laughs) And yet he gets us every single time. John says that these three are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We saw last week when we looked in Genesis chapter 3 that Eve It says that when she saw that the tree was good for food, she was hungry. And she saw that it was a tree that was pleasurable to the eyes. It was was pretty. It was nice. You know how women are. Oh, I just love flowers. And that it was a tree desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. She took of it and she lust of the flesh lust of the eyes pride of life we saw over in Matthew chapter 4 that Satan did the same thing to Jesus chapter 4 says that Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and after fasting for 40 days he was hungry and so Satan comes to Jesus and he says take these stones and turn them into bread the lust of the flesh he takes jesus up onto the top of the of the pinnacle of the temple 
and tells him to jump off of the temple because the word says that the angels will catch you. They will bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. So Jesus, won't it, won't, look what will happen. How do people will worship and adore you if you just jump off the temple and angels will just catch you and bring you down to the ground? The pride of life. He takes Jesus up to a high place and shows him all of the glory of this world, fame and riches. It says, I will give all of these things to you if you will just bow down one time and worship me. Lust of the eye. This is all that Satan has. And if we are to protect ourselves when it comes to when it comes to being tempted, we have to recognize why we keep falling. Now, I ended here last week saying that there are three things that I believe that causes us to keep stumbling over um, these particular things, right? The lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. These three things are, number one, and this is where we'll focus for, um, for today. Number one, we don't realize that we are prone to one or more of these areas. We don't recognize that, that we, we are inclined to one or more of these areas. All three of these things work on all three of us, but most people have one major area that they focus on when they get attempted. Right. Number two, we idolize our desires. And number three, we spend too much time cultivating our own lust. Number one, we don't realize that we're prone to one or more areas. Number two, we idolize our desires. Number three, we spend too much time cultivating our own lust. We tend to think that everyone is going to be tempted by all of the same things. And that's really not true. Each one of us do fall prey to the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life. But as I said, each one of us are, tend to be inclined to one of these particular things. Some people are more lust of the flesh people, okay? Uh, there are some people who are more lust of the eye people. Um, and still other people are the pride of life type of people. And what tends to happen is that particular area that you are more inclined to, that is what hooks you, and then everything else, kind of the other two kind of circle in, all right, well, once you're already trapped. All right. Now, <coughs> the reason that we keep getting trapped is because we don't spend enough time examining our own lives. Why is it that everywhere you go, there's music playing? You go into the department store, you get in the elevator, you get in your car, it's always music blasting, right? You never have an opportunity to stop and think, right? That one reason is so that they can get your money, <laughs> okay? Okay. But Part of the reason is that we don't want to sit and reflect on, our, on ourselves. 
So what we need to do by the power of the Holy Spirit, through his word, sometimes through other Christians that we respect, giving them an opportunity to be able to speak into our lives, we need to learn how to examine our lives, examine our hearts, examine the things that go through our minds. So, first, some people are more inclined to being tempted through the lust of the flesh. These are people who are more driven by desires that arise from the flesh or from their body. They are aroused more by a desire for physical gratification. Now, when I say that, again, everyone's mind goes only in one direction. When you say, oh, yeah, they have a, they have a, a, a lust problem or a flesh problem where they look looking for physical gratification, people think, oh, there's only one area of physical gratification. Okay. I'm not going to name that area. Okay. <laughs> However, we should not limit the lust of the flesh to sexual gratification. When people hear this, they only think of sexual desire, but it's not limited to that. Think about people who are driven by substances. Why are some people, when they experience stress, anxiety, or depression, why do they medicate themselves with substances? Why are they prone to drug and alcohol as a way to cause them to feel more relaxed? Think of people who overeat when they stre uh, stressed out. How many times have you have you been so stressed that you wake up in the ice cream aisle of the supermarket? <laughs> and, and, and by the time you come to yourself, you have eaten the whole pint of ice cream. That's the lust of the flesh, right? You are looking for physical gratification to manage the, the anxiety or pain that's going on inside of you. Think of people who sleep a lot and can't get much done because they're always tired, even though they sleep a lot. Okay. These are all issues of the lust of the flesh. See, we, we have to move out of just thinking that the only lust of the flesh is sex. That's not true. Satan will use your desire for physical pleasure, whatever that physical pleasure is, your body will use that desire, and it will hook you, and it will draw you away from safety or freedom in Christ. Ask yourself this question, if you want to know if you are a person who is prone or inclined to the lust of the flesh, ask yourself, when I am tempted or in the normal course of my life, am I driven by a desire for physical gratification? When you are stressed, how do you relieve that stress? Is it through something physical? Do you have to go out and, 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 and fight? All right. You got to play sports. You got to be aggressive and hit people. Okay. You are a lust of the flesh type of person. You need physical gratification. And that is going to be the main way you are tempted. Now, you will also be tempted through the lust of the eyes 
and the pride of life. But the main way that you are tempted is going to be through the lust of the flesh. Number two, again, all this whole thing is, is just practical application, bringing all of these things in. Some people are not lust of the are not inclined mostly to the lust of the flesh. Some people are inclined to the lust of the eyes. They are people who are more driven by desires that arise from what they see. Even these type of people um, that are motivated by what they see, it is not about the eyes, but about mental gratification. Okay, So the lust of the flesh is about physical gratification. The lust of the eye is about mental gratification. When we talk about this immediately, when we talk about the lust of the eyes, um, all of the females who normally hear the word lust of the eyes think about men who keep looking at every woman that walks by. Okay. Uh, and, and, and that is partially um, tr- um, uh, uh, ish- that is an issue of, of the lust of the eyes, but it's not limited to that. What? I'll come back to that. A lot of times we do we think about the lust of the eye being um, only confined to how men become physically attracted to women. But we shouldn't limit to just physical attraction. Think of it this way. How many people have to purchase the newest model car that comes out? How many people have to have the next iPhone or the next Android phone? Ooh, I know I only got this one 10 months ago, but the new one is out. I got to have it. How many people lease cars even though leasing is the worst thing you can do? Just because, ooh, in three years I can get a brand new one. You are a lust of the eye person. How many women constantly has to get that new dress? Because it just looks so good on me. You are a lust of the eye person. What about people who are constantly sitting around daydreaming all day? You get that report done? Oh, no, 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 no. Where were you at? Oh, man, I was laying on the beach just enjoying the breeze, right? Always daydreaming. That is the lust of the eyes because it's about mental gratification. Many women see the lust of the eyes as a male problem, but think how often women window shop. You all literally can stand in a window and see this, see it on me. It, ooh. <laughs> you, you, you know how it looks. You know how it feels, right? You see the shoes. 
You have the credit card bills to prove it. Okay? That is a lust of the eye problem. Okay? <laughs> I see some husbands like. <laughs> <laughs> because once they see it, they have to have it. We talked about this last week. You know, there's some people, you drive down the street, you drive past this dealership, you see that car. Ooh, look at that car. Your car's only two years old. Honey, you hear that rattling sound? I don't hear nothing. You just came from the, you just came from the shop. Oh, yeah, it's rattling. Let me just pull on over. <laughs> okay. Right. Lust of the eye. Okay. That, that's all we're dealing with. You have lust of the eyes. You see something, and so you have to have it. As I said, the lust of the eye is about mental gratification. Those inclined to the lust of the eye believe, they believe what they see will bring them joy. And so what they see, they must have. Women feel a sense of a sense of gratification when they see themselves in new clothes. Women, many women think that they look more attractive with makeup on or certain types of hairstyles or even showing off more or less skin. That somehow makes them more attractive. Right. Lust of the eyes. Because they are lusting after attention. Because men are visually aroused, we receive mental stimulation by seeing women's physical features. Some people are attracted to a person's style of dress because they think that tells them something about the person. I have a friend of mine in seminary. We would, we would, um, he would, uh, we would talk about like, hey, when I, when I, we get married or how things like. He's like, yeah, man, you know, when I get married, my wife is gonna always wear high heels. I'm like, huh? I'm like, even like cleaning around the house? Yeah, yeah, always, always, right? <laughs> Lust of the eye. It's, a, it's all mental. Man, you, you crazy. So, <laughs> so we got together like a year or so ago, and I was like, hey, man. I, oh, I'm about to say her name. Hey, I'm like, I'm like, she wear heels all the time? She was like, nah, man. <laughs> I tell you. The things we do when we catch you, they don't always continue. Why do some women, you know, get aroused by men in uniform? Oh, he, he got a firefighter's uniform on. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's it. Lust of the eye, okay? It's, it's all about mental gratification. You believe that what you see is telling you something about that person. <laughs> hey, you got a paycheck. There you go. Ha Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. <laughs> and they know about commitment. There you go. <laughs> Ask yourself the questions. If you want to know if you are a lust of the eye person, okay, ask yourself the question, Am I motivated by, stimulated by, or mentally and emotionally driven by the things that I see? Am I motivated by, stimulated by, 
or mentally and emotionally driven by the things that I see. Now, again, the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh work together because sometimes you can be visually stimulated by something and then the flesh kicks in. Okay, and then you're really in trouble. Okay. Right? So, so they can work in isolation, but oftentimes, once you're ensnared by one, the other ones just pile on. Number three, some people are not prone or inclined to lust of the flesh or lust of the eyes. Some people are, are prone to the pride of life. When I say pride of life, we immediately think of someone who is prideful or arrogant, someone who boasts a lot, right? <clears throat> Sometimes we think about people who always need to be right. <laughs> That's called a testimony. <laughs> okay. Sometimes we think of just about people who always need to be right, right, or, or to just have their way, right? This may be true, but it is not only limited to that. Think about people who are driven by success and status. Some people are 30 years old and got five degrees. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, I just finished. I just finished my third master's. Now I'm going to get my doctorate. Oh, yeah, I, I, girl, you just got that promotion. Yeah, I just got that promotion, but I, I'm already working on the next one. Right? They just got to keep drop pushing themselves to get higher and higher and higher. And now they become the CEO, and that's not good enough. Now I got to go to a bigger company. Always driven by success and status. Think about people who have to buy the VIP package everywhere they go. <laughs> right? So, I, Like, I own a timeshare, and every single time I go, ooh, don't you want to upgrade the VIP? Uh, how much is it going to cost? Oh, that's only going to be like another 50000 Not interested, sir. Oh, but look, you get your own, you get your own check-in line. You don't have to check in the line with everybody else. You get a special check-in line. You know, we have a little room where you can get some hors d'oeuvres and you get special perks. No, sir, I don't I don't need to be VIP for fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> Not interested. I, I will get in the line with everybody else. <laughs> just just wait my turn. <laughs> just wait. But there are some people, ooh, ooh, I gotta be VIP. I, got, I want people to see me standing in a special line. You really are special, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. Think of people who are jealous, always thinking that they have to have what someone else has. Jealousy is rooted in pride. If you see somebody have something and you want what they have, you just have to have it too? That's pride. Think about the person who is always complaining about someone or something. That's the pride of life. Think about people who are constantly pretending, <coughs> excuse me, I mean posting about their vacation and lifestyle on Facebook. Right. Ooh, look where I am. Look where we went. Well, I brag different. Yeah, it's called the pride of life. 
We, you, you broke like everybody else. It's on your credit card. <laughs> you, you ain't bragging differently. You just broke differently. <laughs> All right. that, that is the pride of life. Think about the person who is the best at whatever subject is being addressed. It does, doesn't matter what the topic is. Oh, I'm the best at that. Nobody's better than me. Oh, I got, oh, yeah, look what I did. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I got a 95. Well, you know, I got a 99. Right? Any conversation you have, you say something, they got to say something to top you. It's the pride of life. They have the best house the best car, the best job, the best clothes, the best children, the best church. <laughs> but oftentimes we don't think about, on the flip side, what about the people who complain about their house, their car, their job, their clothes, their children, their church? That's also the pride of life. All of these things are rooted in not being satisfied with your position in life because you feel you deserve better. No, I don't want better. I deserve better. I deserve people to treat me a certain way. I deserve to have the best things in life. I deserve to have a nice house. I deserve to have a nice car. I deserve to have children who are respectful. I deserve. That is the pride of life. Now, if you want to know if you are a pride of life kind of quite, um, person, ask yourself, do I complain a lot? <laughs> All right. Do I complain a lot? Ask yourself, do I consistently talk about what is wrong or what others can do better? Yeah, sister, so and so saying that's so low. I could have sang it better. <laughs> Are you always complaining about what someone is doing and what they should, can do better? Do you have to always be the person in front when there's an event or something going on or anything? Do you have to be the leader all the time? Okay. Some people say no. My follow-up question would be, do you not participate <laughs> when you are not the leader or when you don't get what you want? I don't have to be the leader. Oh, you coming on that? You coming to the event? Oh, no, I can't make it. That's the pride of life. Next question. Am I the best at everything? Layla raised her hand. <laughs> are, are, are you the best at everything? Everything that, I can do that better. Oh, they should have did it this way. I wouldn't have did it that way. Why they do it that way? <laughs> pride of life. Last question. Am I constantly thinking about how to, um, how to better myself or get to the next level? Oh, yeah, I'm just trying to get to the next level. If you're always trying to get to the next level, you have a problem with the pride of life. What's wrong with this level? <laughs> Fifth 
Second thing, not only do we not realize that we are inclined to one of these areas primarily and then the other ones kind of pile on, the second thing that we don't realize is that we idolize our desires. We have made our desires into God. We tell people to obey your thirst. We, mi we, we miss that. Oh, we just want the soda. No, we are telling people to obey your thirst. We see, sing songs like this. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Now, what sense does that make? <laughs> All right. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. I heard this song. Um, I was at the dentist's office. And how did it go? It said, um, it said, um, even if I can't find heaven, I'll walk through hell with you. I'm like, I was sitting there like, N nope, N not at all. You can go to hell by yourself. <laughs> I'm like, not me. Absolutely not. I don't love nobody that much. I love you, Janita, but um, you know, I'm going up. <laughs> Lord, why she why she didn't make it? Well, I guess I had my mansion by myself. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. We tell ourselves that image is everything. It doesn't matter if it's reality. We paint the picture that everything is great in, in our lives because image is everything. Okay. That's the pride of life. We love Nike because they tell us to just do it. <laughs> okay. We are idolizing our desires. And we think that just because it feels good, that it is good. And so we have a whole generation of people that is going around just fulfilling their desires and not even realizing that they are on their way to death. And anyone who brings up this fact is either demonized, ignored, or mocked. And that is because we have made our desires, our lust, a God. Now, my last point is this, and then I'm done. The last, we're, we're inclined to one of these particular areas. Number two, we idolize our desires. But number three, we spend way too much time cultivating our lust. The reason we fail when tempted is because we spend too much time cultivating our lust. And oftentimes this is done in secret right? because we're good Christians. So we, you know, we, 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 we got to do it in secret, you know. That's why we do it at night <laughs> on Saturday. <laughs> so we can come to church and ask for forgiveness on Sunday. Okay. Right. When I was growing up, my mother had all of these plants all around the house, right. Sometimes it was just one little stem of a plant. And I'm like, just throw this away. Right, she'd go to somebody's house like, ooh, I like that. Let me just break a piece off. Right, and then she would come planting in dirt. <laughs> right. 
and she would she would water it she would make sure it had enough sunlight she would prune it to make sure that it that everything is right with it and 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 because she would water it prune it and make sure it had enough sunlight it began to grow now eventually it will grow to the point where it she would have to dig it up and put it in a bigger pot because the roots was starting to, you know, be too tight in this particular pot, right? And if she did not move it to a bigger pot, it was going to die. And eventually she would keep doing that over and over and over. She would have to take it and then plant it out in front of the house. And then the whole process would start all over again, okay? And what we don't realize is that just like my mother, we do the same thing with our lust. We spend way too much time cultivating our own lust. The reason our desires are, are strong enough to draw us away and entice us, to use James's um, words, is because like my mother, we groom and cultivate our lust until they can no longer be contained in their original pot. We think it's cute and funny to fir when we first get it. Oh, look at this little lust. And we keep watering it and pruning it and, and putting it in the sun. And then it needs to be put in a bigger pot. But it's okay. It's manageable. But we keep watering it and pruning it and, and putting it in the sunlight till we need to plant it outside. It's too big for the house now. And when we try to walk away from, the, from this, this little ball of lust, right, it's too late because we've cultivated it. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life always starts off small and innocent. But through years of secret enjoyment and practices, these things grow into a roaring lion. I remember going to this conference. I heard um, this a pastor um, named Matt Chandler. Um, he was used this example, and he was talking about uh, this man who um, adopted a lion cub, right? And so he brought it to his home, and he would feed the lion only milk and other things, right? Never meat. Okay, milk and other things, never meat. Okay, so over the process of time, the lion grew, and one day, the lion ate him. Okay, and so all of his family and friends were just shocked. Like, I don't understand what happened. He only fed it milk. I don't know what happened. And then Matt Chandler, in the way that that only he could do it, he was like, I don't understand why everyone was shocked. It's a lion. <laughs> I mean, that's what lions do. <laughs> right. Right. No matter what you try to do, you cannot overcome nature. But we try to do that with our lust. You see, the wages of sin is death. We think that we can just play with it for a little while, then when we're done with it, we put it down. That's not how sin works. Sin and lust is a roaring lion. You can change its diet, but it is still a lion. And it will still kill you. 
we need to recognize that this is what we're doing with our lust. When we first acquire a desire or lust, it is like that little lion cub. But each time we feed it, it grows. No matter how much joy and pleasure it gives us, it is still a lion. We think that it is just one drink or one smoke. We think it is just one click on a porn site. We think it is giving um, that person one piece of our mind, <laughs> right? We think that it is only one night with someone that's not our spouse. We think that it is only one more item on the credit card. We think that it is only one more donut or one more pint of ice cream. We think that it is only um, one look at the woman as she walks by. We think that it is only one debate on Facebook. We think that it is only one finger to the person that cut us off. <laughs> I was wondering if y'all was going to catch that. Okay. But over time, these one-time events add up. And they add up and become habits in our lives. They become well-worn pathways in our minds. They become our coping mechanisms and ways that we use to relax and unwind. I had a, a, um, a friend I would, um, was talking to them and, and, um, and uh, I think we were at their house or something and, and, and they got off of work and they needed to relax and they was like, oh, I just, I just need to be, I need to relax. And um, just by the process of having a conversation, they just say, yeah, every day, I, you know, this, I, 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 it's like I feel antsy. I, I, I just can't relax unless I have a beer after work. And I'm like, you have a problem. No, I don't. I, I don't get drunk. I'm, I'm like, okay, well, skip, skip tomorrow. Don't, don't have a beer tomorrow. Oh, no, I really can't. I, you know, I, I need it to relax. You have a problem. It doesn't matter if you don't get drunk. If you have to have it, you have an addiction. They become habits. They become our coping mechanisms. They become the way that we relax and that we unwind. We develop relationships around these things in our lives. They Sometimes even becoming who we are, even if it's just in secret. My church people don't know, you know. When I'm, if you say something like, yeah, the people who really know me, I, I only can relax around certain people. <laughs> only, uh, on, on the, my, only my friends who really know me. Yeah, you have a, a, a problem. It's called secretive, <laughs> being secretive, okay? If you can't be who you are for all of us who are supposed to be your brothers and sisters, you're in the wrong boat already. You're headed towards death. These things become a lion ready to kill us at any moment. And whereas we think that we are using our desires for pleasure, we eventually realize that our desires are our masters and they are dragging us wherever they want us to go. We call that addiction. 
sometimes when you want to do something, you, you, you like, nope, I'm not going to do that. And you, you feel like jittery, like this anxious feeling, like you, you, like you just, it's just pulling, it's just calling me, man. <laughs> right? That, that is, that is, all right, for y'all. I, everybody in here has seen New Jack City, right? Oh, okay. I just, I'm like, people like, where'd that come from? Okay. All right. <laughs> anyway, but you, you, you feel pulled and drawn into something. You want to say no, but you, you feel like you're being pulled until you have to say yes. It's because you have cultivated your lust so much that you are losing control. I want us to, in this section, my time is up, by just reiterating what James is trying to say. I want you to, to reflect on all of these things. Because remember, James's book is all about faith. And too often we allow faith to be put into the box of what can I get from God? Right? I want a house. I want a car. I want a husband. I want this. I want that. Right? And so I need faith <laughs> right, in order to get these things from God. James is trying to tell us that your faith is important in how you resist temptation. Faith touches every single area of your lives. I'm preaching these things and I fail on these things too, right? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. But just like this pastor, I heard him I'm preaching about, he, he talked about how he would, would struggle with pornography and all. He said, he said, every single day I struggle to maintain not to go back to that lifestyle, but I fight. But I fight. See, that's the thing. The question is not, do you struggle? The question is, do you fight? Do you fight not to give in to your temptations? And that's what James is trying to get us to see. If we, if we sum up everything in verses 2 through verses 15, James is trying to tell us that if we want to be freed from sin, you have to learn how to endure. And the way that God teaches us how to endure is by allowing us to go through tests and trials. Because when you go through the test and trials and you allow the test and the, the trial to do what it works, it causes you to be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. It causes you to be able to endure. And that same endurance, that same maturity, that same completeness and wholeness that God gives you as you go through tests and trials and adversity is the same maturity, the same grace that you need when you are tempted so that you can endure the test that we call sin. Now, as I said, what we tend to do is think that um, the tests and trials are from the devil, right? A every, every single thing, God wants me to have my best life, okay? And so anytime a test or trial comes your way, that's not God. That's from the devil. And so we praying, God, I pray that you bind the hands of Satan, okay? And um, God is just sitting back like, when, it, when are they going to learn? <laughs> okay. Every single test and trial, that you go through 
is specifically designed for you. We are consistently asking, well, why do I keep going through this? And they don't ever go through this because they don't have your problems. (laughs) They have their own set of tests and trials because God knows what's in them and where he wants to take them. But every single test, trial or adversity that you go through is specifically designed to do something in you. So that you can become perfect, complete, lacking nothing. And when we allow these tests and trials to do what God designs them to do in us. We will at the same time find ourselves being more victorious, not completely victorious, but more victorious over the desires and lust in our lives. Because that's how maturity, spiritual maturity works, that as you grow spiritually right? It's not just in this one area. It bleeds out into every area of your life. Just like your sin bleeds out into every area of your life. Let the tests and trials and adversities that come into your life, let them have their perfect work. Because James says that when we allow them to have their perfect work, when we pass the test, we will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to everyone who loves him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for allowing us this one last opportunity to look in uh, James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. I pray that you would help us. Because every single one of us struggles with this area of temptation. Lord, when our tests and trials come, it is so easy for us to give in, for us to complain, for us to figure out a way to work it out that is not pleasing to you. And so often it's easy to justify why we respond the way we do. But we have to confess, Lord, that we just do it because... We want life to be easy. We don't want to struggle. We don't want to go through pain. Sometimes doing the wrong thing feels better than suffering while doing the right thing. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and minds and help us to to see what you're up to when you send us or allow us to go through pain in our lives. Help us to see that you are a good father and sometimes pain is a good gift from you to grow us up and move us to the next place that you want us to be. Lord, it's so easy for us to try to duck the pain and the circumstances of our lives, but I pray that you would help us to see that every trial is just a testing of our faith. And when we allow our faith to be tested and we succeed, we become mature. We become whole and not divided or emotionally or mentally immature. We move to the place of lacking nothing because you 
will provide for us as our good shepherd. Help us to no longer be like the man who is wavering, like this double-minded man, tossed around by the sea. But help us to stand in faith, Lord. Even when we're tempted to sin, help us to see that we need to stand in faith and do things the way you say they should be done and not give in to the flesh. Lord, as we move on in the rest of this chapter, as we look at the areas that I will call how to handle self-deception, help us to look at ourselves and see that sometimes the reason that we lack faith is because we don't see ourselves correctly. We see ourselves as more mature than we really are. But I pray that you would Help us to see ourselves the way you see us. Help us to see that we aren't mature when we speak to people incorrectly or inappropriately. Help us to see that we aren't mature or standing in faith when we see someone who may have less than us and we feel that they need to sit in the back of the church and not sit towards the front of the church. Help us to see that we are not mature and standing in faith when we see brothers and sisters in need and we have the resources to meet that need, but we keep it to ourselves. Teach us how to handle self-deception because faith is not about what we know. It is about what we do. And I pray that you would help us to no longer be just hearers of the word, as James will say, but that we will be doers also. And prayerfully, as we do that, Lord, we can hear the world's criticism less and less that the church is a bunch of hypocrites because we will not only say, but we will also do. We thank you now for all these things in Jesus name. Amen.